You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Romans chapter 12. What a wonderful thing that God would love us so much that he would leave heaven and come here and die on a cross in our place so that we could go to heaven one day. What a wonderful God he is. Once you found your way to Romans chapter 12, would you stand with me as we read, if you're able to stand this morning? Two verses of scripture in the word of God. And I'm going to be asking you a question today. Basically, the title of the message, Are You Surrendered? And I will talk about that in just a moment. Are you surrendered and why should you be? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father God in heaven, as I bow my head and my heart, I realize this morning without you I can do nothing. And Lord, I'm asking for your help. Fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory. And Father, by chance, if there's anybody in church today, but they're not in Christ, may today be the day that they will realize their need and bow their head and heart and put their trust and faith and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, His death, burial, and resurrection before it's eternally too late. And Father, help us not only to be Christians, but to be surrendered Christians. And the question of the day, are you surrendered? And why should you be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated, and I appreciate you standing. You know, the Bible says here, Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The first reason that you should be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ is because it's your reasonable service. It is the least that you could do for all that He has done for you and for me. I don't have a, a, a table up here, but I just want you to use your minds this morning. Imagine there's a table, six foot table here, four foot, whatever it is. And I would get a young man to come out of the audience and lay on the table. But on purpose, I would leave part of his head off of the table. And I would ask this question, is his all on the altar? Imagine that the table is the altar. Is his all on the altar? And everybody would look and they say, yeah, it looks like he's pretty much on there. And I said, well, no, a little part of his head is hanging off the end. And God wants your all on the altar. And it says here in the Bible, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, God wants every part of you. And so then I take him and I slide him this way and I leave his feet hanging off. And I'll say, well, is he all on the altar? And some would say yes, some would say no. And I said, no, his feet are hanging off. God wants your feet too. You realize that? Or how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God wants your all on the altar. He wants, not only does He want you to be saved, He wants you to be surrendered. And there's a lot of people who are saved but not surrendered to God. 
And I know there's a daily surrendering that we do every day of our lives. But have you ever come to the point where you got saved and then you just say, God, from this day forward, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, here am I. Send me. Now, in my testimony in Sunday school and other times that I've been here, I told you when, when I got saved, 1230 in the morning, March the 10th of 1998, right after I got saved, still on my knees, I say, God, from this day forward, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You lead and I'll follow you. Got saved and surrendered my life. That was not the case for my brother when he got saved. My brother got saved and there were still some things that he wanted to do and, and had his own ideas about his life. And for a year, he tried to do it his way. And finally, he said he walked out of his house in his yard and he said, God, I'm, I'm tired of living on the fence. The Bible says, why halt you between two opinions? You're either going to be surrendered to God or you're going to be halfway. God wants all of you on the altar and my brother that night put up his hands to heaven and said, God, from this day forward, I'm your man. Use my life, whatever you want. Have you ever come to that point where you've surrendered your life to God? Let's look back at the scripture here. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brother. Now, see, God is talking to born-again Christians. If you're here and you're saved and you're born again, he's talking to you. He's talking to the brethren. This is uh, talking about salvation. And then we see here, he says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now that word present can be uh, pronounced two different ways. Present or present. And God wants you to present yourself a present back to him. He wants you to give the life that he's given you back to him. So this is talking about surrender. We see salvation. We see surrender. And that word present means to yield. And then we see the word separation here. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So the being conformed is talking about the old man. And then sanctification, we see that. Transform, the new man. Transform, how? By the renewing of your mind. That's why it's so good to memorize as much scripture as you can. When you get the Bible in, in your brain and it gets in your body, it cleanses you. It's like taking a bath from the inside out. Well, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto? According to thy word, the Bible says. And then the last thing is service. It says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to surrender your life to him so you can serve him with your life for the rest of your life. But most people are serving themselves. We're in the, the age and the day of uh, accountability, or not accountability, but what's that word I'm looking for? On, never mind, I'll find it later. All right. <laughs> but it's where everybody says, uh, you owe me something. That's, that's the, the, you owe me something. I don't have to work for money. I should, you should just give me money. But you know what? That's not reality. God says, if you're not going to work, you shouldn't eat. And that's what he says in his word. And think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ surrendered his will to God. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He said, Father, if there's some other way, I would rather do that. But it doesn't matter what I want. It only matters what you want. Have you ever come to that where you just said, God, whatever you want, doesn't matter what I want, whatever you want. And at salvation, we got all of him. But how much does he have of us? How much does he have of us? Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, 
Here am I, send me. So, the first reason you should be a surrendered Christian is because it's your reasonable service. The second reason you should be a surrendered Christian is because there'll be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you realize that one day you're going to stand before the Son of Man and you're going to give an account of your life as a Christian from the day that you got saved until that day. You're going to tell him what you did with your time, with your talents, with your treasures, and with your testimony. Now, he could put it on a screen and show you what you did, but he's not going to do that. You are going to tell him. You are going to give an account. And that word account means a verbal rendering. You are going to tell him what you did and why you did it. We won't turn there for time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 and 15 talks about preparing yourself for the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, I think we talked about that a year later when I was here. But uh, there's five crowns that you can win. I'm just going to run through these real quickly. Incorruptible crown that you can win at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.25 for self-denial. A crown of rejoicing, a soul winner's crown. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. I really want to win that so I can lay that at His feet. A crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8, for seeking the Lord. The crown of life in James 1, 12 and Revelation 2, 10 for staying away from temptation. And then the crown of glory, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 4, a shepherd's crown. And even if you win a crown, you're not going to keep it for yourself. You're going to lay it at the feet of the only one who is worthy to wear it. Uh, Revelation 4, 10 and 11 says, And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. How many of you want to hear the words, Well done, when you get to heaven? Amen? But you're not going to hear well done if you don't do well. Now, you don't get to heaven by doing anything. You get to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ. But once you get saved, there's something that God wants you to do. He wants you to surrender your life to Him so you can serve Him with the rest of your life. But a lot of times, we're serving ourselves. I'm telling you, I am a selfish person. I hate it. I hate it. I remember being to the grocery, uh, grocery store with my wife one time, and I was pulling stuff off that I liked, and I went, oh, do you want anything, honey? <laughs> I mean, this is just me. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. But God says He wants us to be surrendered. Why? Because it's our reasonable service. Secondly, rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where we're going to end today. The reality of hell. Now, me or no other preacher enjoys preaching on hell. But you know what? It's in the Bible. And Jesus Christ preached more on hell than anybody else because He doesn't want anybody to go there. And because it's in the Bible, I'm going to preach on it today, and I'm going to do the best that I can. This is very hard for me, but I can tell you this. I would rather warn somebody about hell than not warn them and then them die and go to hell. And the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, warning every man of the coming judgment, because there is a day. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment says in Hebrews 9, 25. Now, hell is a real place. Sheol. In the Hebrew, the domain of the dead. In the Greek, it's called Hades, a place of unbelieving dead, a place of punishment and torment. Souls are conscious and can remember when they were alive, tormented in flames of fire, also called hell in the pit. It's located beneath the earth. Psalm 63, 9 says, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the inner or go into the lower parts of the earth. 
Numbers chapter 16, verse 30 says, But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that pertaineth unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Before Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, everyone who died went there never to return again. It's a place they called paradise. And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles with me real quickly to Luke chapter 16 for just a moment. Luke chapter 16, and look at verse 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, fine linen, fair sumptuously every day. Now purple was a, a color of royalty back in that day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Notice that the rich man doesn't have a name, but Lazarus does have a name. Why? Because when you die and go to hell, you have no name anymore. And the Bible says, There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The dogs had more compassion on Lazarus than this rich man did. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That is a beautiful picture to me. You know when a child of God dies, an angel will take you into the presence of Almighty God. Do you know why that is? I believe it's because... Because this is Satan's domain. He is the prince and the power of the air. So when a saint dies, God makes sure that he gets through that on the way to heaven, and he sends an angel to take you there. That's just a wonderful thought to me. And it says, carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And the Bible says, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, in paradise, there was a place for the saved and a place for the lost. But you couldn't get from here to there or there to here. It says that here in just a moment. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. My brother pointed this out to me. He said, Bruce, even in hell, this rich man could not admit to God that he was a sinner. He didn't say, have mercy on me, a sinner. He just said, have mercy on me. But there's no mercy in hell. It's too late then. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now Lazarus came by his doorstep every day, and I believe that he was sharing the gospel with this rich man. And I believe the rich man laughed at him. He said, look at me and all I have, and you say you have God, and look at you. But guess what happened? When he died, and hell lifted up his flame, all of a sudden Lazarus, that's good things. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither they pass to us that would come from thence. You know, that messes up your reincarnation right there. God says, Once you die in hell... You're not going to come back as a butterfly. You're not going to be able to go to heaven after you're in hell. It's not going to happen like that. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. All of a sudden, he's got a prayer life in hell. He's wanting things. He's wanting a drink of water. And he's willing to take a, a, a drop of water from a pussy leprous finger at that point in his life. But your prayers don't get answered in hell. He said, send him to my father's house. All of a sudden, he's evangelistic. And he says, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He's, he knew he should be there. He never asked to get out. 
He just wanted somebody to warn his brothers about this place. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They have the Bible. Let them hear then. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there's still people today who will not repent and trust him as Savior. And he said unto him, if they will hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So you have this certain rich man in hell. I've often wondered if he's the same rich man that was in Mark chapter 10. There was a certain young rich man that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew his heart and said, well, have you kept the commandments? He said, oh, I've done that my whole life. How many of you have kept the commandments your whole life? None of us have, and neither had this young man either, but he was full of himself. So Jesus knew the God of his heart was his money. So he said, okay, sell everything you got and follow me. So I can't do that. And the Bible said that he left. And nowhere in the word of God you see where that rich young man got saved. And I often wonder if it's the same man. I have no idea. But I know this, there's, there's a certain rich man in hell right now. And one day he'll be pulled out of hell and stand before the Son of Man and be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Mm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, So wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And see, back in this time, before Christ had died and rose from the dead, those are two compartments, compartments where they could see one from the other. But when Jesus died on the cross and he went and took captivity captive, now, it's two separate places. There's heaven and there's hell. And when you die, you're either going to be in one or the other. While you have breath, you can trust Jesus Christ and be born again and never experience the second death if you've had the born again experience. And all this is coming to a head here. And think about this. If a person dies... Without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says that their name will be blotted out of the book of living. See, there's a, the Lamb's book of life. It's got every name of every human being that's ever been born, that's ever going to be born, is written in that book. But if you die without trusting Christ, your name will be blotted out of the book. And if you stand at the white throne judgment, the angel will open the book, and the Lord will say, is his name in the book? And says, I'm sorry, Lord, it's been blotted out. If your name's not in the book, it's too late. It's too late. It's too, too late. I've thought about hell a lot. I, I don't I mean I don't think about it a lot. But as I was studying for this message and I was reading these things on hell, why would anybody in their right mind want to go to hell? I have witnessed to friends of mine. And they said, Bruce, oh, what you got is good for you. But, you know, when I, when I die, I'll just go to hell. I'll party with my friends. When I see them in hell, I say, you will never see your friends in hell because hell is a dark place because God's light is removed from that place. Right. Now, you may hear your friends in hell because the Bible says there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Right. And think about this. When a person is in hell, they have all their senses, just like this man. He remembered. He could see. He could hear. He could feel. There'll be a sense of smell in hell. There'll be brimstone and burning flesh. 
Revelation 19, 20, And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And then there'll be a sense of taste in hell. I don't know if you've ever been around fire, but sometimes it can get in your, in your, in your mouth and you can, you can taste the smoke in your mouth and your throat will burn. You know, that's why cigarette smoking is a terrible thing. God never made your lungs to, to inhale smoke. Most people who die in fires die from smoke inhalation before they ever get burnt, totally burnt, because your lungs are not made to take that. And you'll be able to taste the smoke and your throat will be burning. And then you can taste the blood because you'll be gnawing on your tongue. Revelation 16, 10 says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast. His kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And then sense of hearing inhale again, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty two thirteen. Then said the kings to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Matthew thirteen forty two, and shall shall cast him into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the sense of sight in hell. You won't be able to see anything because it'll be so dark you won't even be able to see your hand in front of your face. Psalm forty nine nineteen. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 6, I know there's only one chapter. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. There are angels that fell with Satan that are in chains. Now, Satan has his demons. There's a bunch of them still here doing his bidding because he's, again, the prince and the power of the air. But there are some who are in chains of darkness and they'll be pulled out of that darkness and stand before the the Lord Jesus Christ, and then be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And then there'll be a sense of feeling in hell. You'll be able to feel. You'll be able to feel the heat. You'll be able to feel the worm that's crawling on you because where the worm dieth not, the Bible says. And there's a list of people who are going to be in hell in Revelation 21.8, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, Murders, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And again, you can miss the second death if you have the second birth, if you're born again. Matthew 7, 23, Then while I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many people are going to stand before God and say, Well, I went to church. I got baptized. I did this. I did that. And he'll look at them and say, But you never trusted me. You tried to work your way to heaven. And the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And many people are trying to work their way to God. And He says, don't do that. Just come to me. Stop trying and start trusting. All the difference in the world. I tried to come to God. I tried to stop cussing. I tried to stop drinking. I tried to stop drugs. I tried to stop doing all these bad things, but I couldn't stop anything. But when I stopped trying and I trusted Him, He gave me the power to quit all of those things that I used to do, which were some of you. Hallelujah. That was my old life, but that's not my new life. I have a new life in Christ. Hallelujah. 
Psalm 88, 5 says, Free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Not only will you be separated from the very presence of God, there'll be the sadness of being alone. You know, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. But in hell, you will be alone. Now, you'll be able to hear, but you won't be able to see. But you're going to be alone. No name, no number, no body in hell. Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. People are walking around today and they have a noose around their neck and they have no idea it's on their neck. Because the wrath of God abideth on them because they're not saved and they've never come to a place of repentance and faith. And then there's going to be fire, constantly in pain. I don't, how many of you ever burnt your finger and how bad that feels? Can you imagine fire over your whole body like the burning bush not being consumed but continually? Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God never prepared hell for us. He prepared it for the devil and his angels that rebelled against him in heaven. But when a person doesn't trust Christ, that's where they're going to go. Revelation 9, 2, And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit of the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke in the pit. See, it's a bottomless pit. So you'll be able to sense, you'll have a sense of falling and never reaching the bottom. Constantly falling, and the whole time you'll feel like there's a worm crawling on you, and you'll, you'll be on fire the whole time. You'll be in pain, and there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and you'll be crying out for mercy, and there's no mercy in hell. You'll be begging for relief, and there's no relief in hell. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 5, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Matthew 25, 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Isaiah 66, 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be abhorring unto all flesh. And then there'll be fatigue. Not only fire, not only falling, but fatigue. There'll be no rest in hell. There'll be no relaxation in hell. Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And I know this talking about the tribulation period. But if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, that's the place you're going to go. I don't think anybody would raise their hand and say, boy, I'm looking forward to going there. And I don't want anybody else to go, and neither does Jesus Christ. That's right. Second, uh, Peter, verses, uh, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says that he's not willing that any should perish. Amen. But that all should come to repentance so they could miss this place called hell. Amen. You know, after hearing all of this, the senselessness of being in hell, nobody has to go there because Jesus Christ came and took your hell on the cross. He was your substitute. You should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. But He loved us so much that He came and took our place. He took our hell on the cross. Oh, my. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me ask you a question today. Have you surrendered your eyes to God? Psalm 101.3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Have you surrendered your hands? 1 Corinthians 7.1 says, It is good for a man not to ch- touch a woman. How about your feet? Talked about that earlier in the illustration there. Romans 10.15, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How about your ears? Psalm 85.8, I will hear what the Lord God will speak. How about your heart? Psalm 66.18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How many people will go to hell because you put off surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? You know, Jesus saved you, not just so you could go to heaven, but he left you here so that you could tell other people about heaven. And so you have a choice to share the gospel or not share the gospel. It all depends on your heart. If God ever gets a hold of your heart and seeing people, not just as people, but people who are either going to be in heaven or in hell, it'll change your life. I, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. God has given me the gift of evangelism, and I'm over the top on it. I know. I, I give out gospel tracts everywhere I go. I try to share things with people. Hey, people aren't happy about that all the time. I, I promise you. I promise you they're not. But anytime God puts people in your path, you have a choice. You can ignore them or you can share with them. And I know not every day you have time to go through the whole gospel with somebody, but you can hand them a gospel tract. When you go to pump gas and you put, put your thing in there and start pumping your gas and somebody pulls up beside you, is that an accident or is that a divine appointment? You got that little clip on there. The gas will pump itself. You can walk around and hey, I go to Victory Baptist Church. Sure would like for you to come. Amen. And they may say, oh, no, thank you. Or they may take it and say, I appreciate that. And you'll never know. But we need to remember the reality of hell. Because people that don't trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's where they're going to go. And I don't want them to go there. I know you don't want them to go there. And we need to warn them about this place because it's a real place. When I was 21 years old, I was working on a house. I'm an old electrician, and my boss that I was working for, we did mostly house wiring. And when you do a house wiring, uh, you have a panel box, and there's two big old wires that come in and feed the box. In a church like this, in commercial buildings, there's three wires that come in. It's called a three-phase system. I was working on a house one day, and my boss called me, and he said, Bruce, I'm down here at the Holiday Inn getting ready to work on something. He said, I want you to come down and see a three-phase system. I said, okay. So I packed up all my stuff, drove down to the Holiday Inn, and I walked in this room, and it was like a horseshoe, and there were panel boxes on this wall, on this wall, and on this wall. And when I walked in there, not only could I see the power in that room, I could feel it, and I could hear it. The whole room was just humming. And I walked in, and I went, wow, look at this. And he had already taken the panel cover off of the the breaker that they were having a problem with. Up on the third floor in the back of the hotel, there was an air conditioner, and the the breaker kept tripping. And so he said, look, the people, you know, the hotel is full of people. They don't want us to turn the power off. Bad mistake. And he said, and I've done it many times. I've taken breakers out of panel boxes, put them back with the power on. I shouldn't do that, but I've done it many times. 
But this was the three-phase thing. I've never seen anything like this. And he said, you see those three wires on the breaker? And he said, first thing I want you to do, I want you to take those off. So I took those off, pulled them back out of the way. He said, now I want you to take that breaker out. We're going to put this new breaker in, see if that fixes the problem. Now, we don't know whether that air conditioner had a leak in it and it was going down the pipes because everything in this building is in a pipe. And the water got in the pipe and went all the way to the back and, and maybe it was corroded behind where you couldn't see. We're not sure about that. But I got up there with my screwdriver. Sometimes you have to put your screwdriver in there and pull it out just a little bit so you can get your hand on it to pull it out. And when I went up there to do that, I was 21 years old, lost as I could be. And I got ready, and I believe with all my heart, God stopped me from doing this. I was getting ready to put the screwdriver in there, and I backed away from that box. And my boss said, were you going to take it out or not? And I went, I don't want to. I was almost in tears. And he said, what do you mean you don't want to? I said, I don't know, Joe, maybe because it's three-phase, I've never worked for it. I don't know, I just don't feel good about it, I don't want to do it. And he said, are you kidding me? I said, I'm not kidding you. I said, you can fire me if you want to, but I don't want to take that breaker out of that box. He said, give me that screwdriver. And he got in front of me, and I'm looking over his shoulder, I want to learn. When he put that screwdriver up there, we're not sure if it buck phases, if the screwdriver hit some wires back there, or if the corrosion was bad, we have no idea. But when he put that thing in there and started to move that breaker, all of a sudden, boom, a big ball of fire came out and knocked us backwards. And then, boom, another ball of fire came out. His brother was over here, and he was screaming, run, get out of here, because he thought the whole place was going to explode. We ran outside, and I'll never forget this sight. My boss was hanging over, and he had all this black stuff on him and skin hanging off his face and off his hands because all those wires had melted onto his hands and on his face. And out there in the parking lot, he was moaning and, and screaming, oh, oh! and I imagine that's probably what it sounds like in hell. I remember when I saw him, I went, I don't look like that, do I? And I went and looked in the van and I saw my face in the mirror and I was just totally black. And I went like that and the skin just fell off of my face. And all of a sudden, I could start feeling the heat. And uh, I was getting ready to, uh, I felt like I was going to pass out, and a policeman grabbed me. He put some stuff on my face and wrapped me up like a mummy, you know. And, and uh, I started telling him, I said, man, I just want to go to sleep. He said, Bruce, don't go to sleep. He said, you're in shock. Stay awake. Stay awake. And he kept talking to me. And the ambulance got there. They put Joe on the bed, and he lay in, and I sat in a chair. And they took us to the hospital. They took Joe into one room. They took me into another room. And in that room, the doctor came in, the nurse, and the doctor said, Bruce, he said, we're going to have to scrape all of this stuff off of your face. And they started doing that, and I was screaming, I was yelling. And then they got a big bowl of water with ice in it, and the nurse would take a rag, and she would put it in there, and she would wring it out, and she would lay it on my face. And for one second, <gasps> I'd have relief, and ah, I'd be on fire again. My mom and dad came to the hospital. My little mama was there. I remember she was crying, and the nurse said, I can't do this anymore. My hands are so numb, I can't even feel my fingers anymore. And my mama said, I'll do it. My little mama got that rag and put it on my face, and I'll never forget. She said, Bruce, this is so cold. I said, Mama, please don't stop. I'm on fire, Mom. But in hell, Mama's not going to be there. There's not going to be any relief. Not for one second there's going to be any relief. It's going to be constant burning. What a sad, sad thought. Later on that night after the morphine had kicked in, I wasn't feeling any pain, I'll be honest with you. 
My friend Joe was on one bed, and I was on the other bed. And in the dark of the night after everybody left, my boss man Joe said, Hey, Bruce, are you awake? I said, Yeah, Joe, I'm awake. He said, Bruce, if hell is this hot, I don't want to ever have to go there. I said, Me neither, Joe. But my face healed up. I went right back to the lifestyle that I was living in. And you'd have thought something like that would have changed my life. But it did. I'm so grateful that God was merciful to me, a sinner. Was long-suffering. And at 43 years old, I finally bowed the knee and trusted Christ as my Savior. And for the last 21 years, I've been trying to go all over the country and out of the country warning people about a place called hell. I don't like preaching about it, but I don't want anybody to go there. And you have friends, you have family members, you have co-workers, and if they die, that's where they're going to go. And if you're not surrendered, you're probably not going to tell them. But if you'll come to the place with God, you know what? I want to totally surrender my life to you. Maybe God doesn't want you to be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. Maybe he just wants you to go next door to your neighbor and tell them about Jesus Christ and warn them about a place called hell. It's your reasonable service. There'll be rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And let us never forget the reality of hell. I want to read this poem to you. Friend, will you ponder some words of truth? Though you be up in years or yet in youth, with each passing day your life spins by, death creeps closer till it's your turn to die. On your bed of death the thought comes to mind, all your dear loved ones you must leave behind. They speak words of comfort and try not to cry, but there's no comfort. It's your turn to die. As you reflect upon many wasted years, your poor health saddens and your eyes fill with tears. You spent so much time for family and friends, yet so little time being grieved for your sin. You sped through your years consuming worldly pleasures, yet never invested in heavenly treasures. With these sobering thoughts, you begin to grow scared. It's your turn to die, and you have not prepared. Year after year, you rejected God's Son. Over and over, the gospel you'd shunned. God's spirits would spoke to your once tender heart has now been replaced with Satan's stinging dart. Like a tale which is told, your life has flown by. Your days are expired. It's your time to die. A piercing chill suddenly fills the air while death enters the room like a strange nightmare. But this is no dream. The time has arrived. You'll die in a moment to never revive. All loved ones fade as death closes in. Your body lies helpless. You cannot win. With one final struggle, you gasp for your breath to find your soul in the arms of death. As loved ones gaze upon your lifeless frame, your soul makes its journey to the land of flame. Why me, you cry, wasn't that bad? But then you'll recall all the chances you had. Time and again, God's humble servants came, offering your salvation in Jesus' name. But you cared not for God's holy plan. You despised His servants, and from His truth you ran. Now as your feet slip into the flame, all hope is gone to trust in His name. Deeper you go into the fiery bath, having traded God's mercy for His never-ending wrath. While horror fills your soul and the pain multiplies, your screams simply fade into the smoke-filled skies. As you wade through the flames seeking consolation, those you encounter have, no, have the same condemnation. 
There's no one to help. There's nowhere to turn. Refuge has fled and you're left there to burn. As your loved ones back home in the world above comfort one another with words of love, they're all unaware of your sad plight beneath, of your weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. They'll soon lay your body into the ground, but of your screams below, they'll never hear a sound. Never again will you see a smiling face, only darkness and agony in this damnable place. No children playing with whom to share your love, not another second with your sweetheart above. No food to eat, no water in sight, forever you're captive to hell's dark night. Sunsets have vanished, no mountains, no streams, only roaring flames and soul-piercing screams. At last you now see your error so well. When you said no to Jesus, you said yes to hell. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.